and welcome to History in Reverse, a father-daughter science fiction podcast. Today we'll be discussing Solaris by Lem. listening to the second episode of History in Reverse. My name is Caroline and I'm here with my father, Richie. Hello. All right, so this is only the second episode we've done. So, uh, Dad, do you want to explain uh, one more time for the listeners what the title History in Reverse means? Right. So the way I explain it is very simple. History is study what happened in the past. Science fiction is study what happens in the future. And so it's a science fiction book tells you about something that happened in the future, but it's in the future, so it's history in reverse. Yes. <laughs> and we're continuing our uh, project where basically we're reading a science fiction piece every month and then sitting down and discussing it. So last month we did... Um, the Left Hand of Darkness. Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. And today we're doing uh, Solaris by Lem. I Stanislav think. Lem. Stanislav Lem, that's how you say it? Okay. Yeah. He's Polish, right? Yes. So this is, I think, the f this is the first Lem I ever read. No, I don't think so, but uh, you may have read something. But you've been trying to get me to read this for a long time. That's so right. I've been trying to get you to read Now you've successfully done that. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to start by talking about Lem, and uh, you, you, have, you know more yeah, about Yeah, I, so. I, I know a lot about Lem. So he's one of my favorite science fiction writers. I, start, I read the first book of his when I was like 12. Not this mm -hmm. one, though. He was born in 1921 and died in 2006. I think he had <coughs> medical training, but he never became a doctor. He became a science writer and started writing... Um, science fiction, I guess late 40s, 50s. Uh, what happened was he lived in Poland, which was a communist at the time. So a lot of the stuff that he wrote actually was not published till much later because some of it was not acceptable to um, the government to the and to the censors. And, and in fact, like one of his very first books that I read, uh, it's, it's a kind of um, a riff on the visiting a world that's been destroyed by nuclear war mm -hmm. and, you know, where the, the rocket from the, the pa socialist paradise on Earth goes to Venus and stuff like that. But anyway, so Solaris was probably one of his best-known books. It was made in a couple of movies, and we'll talk about that later. So the book was uh, written in 1960, mm -hmm. and around that time, Lem actually wrote three books that have very similar kind of structure to Solaris. And there's there's one called Eden, which was written before, and another one called The Invincible, which was written, you know, like two years later, two, three years later. And um, When you say structure, you mean like the, the first-person point of view kind first of First-person point of view, you land on a planet, there's something weird going on, you try to figure out what's going on, mm. and you have no clue at the end. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and you have some inkling that something happened, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, you don't know exactly what happened. <laughs> um so, um, other than that, Lem has written lots of other, he's got like several different threads in his writing. Uh, he's got uh, stories of a guy named Perks the Pilot, which were like standard science fiction in the Asimov kind of style. And if you l look through the, his entire life, he's written stories about this, this guy. And the initial ones are kind of funny and lightweight, and they get darker and darker as he progresses. And, and the last book that Lem wrote that was a fiction book was also that involves perks in it, and it's called Fiasco. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe one day we'll get to it, but it, uh, it's... You're going to make it's, me it's, read more Lem? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that's one. Then he's got a whole bunch of stuff that's very satirical. There's a book that I really like called Star Diaries, which is just a collection of these stories about his space travel named Ion Tiher. Um, mm. And they're just ridiculous. And a lot of them are political uh, satires. And that was one way he could get the stuff published in communist Poland. It was <laughs> kind of hidden under the guise of science fiction. But there's things in there like, like killer potatoes. And, oh. Um, <laughs> and there's a bunch of stories that he wrote that are also kind of very silly. The silly, maybe, you know, the, the, the funny that he wrote about robots and artificial intelligence. And uh, one of them, for example, was inspiration for SimCity because it's a story by the king that's oh, been exiled yeah, and, yeah. And, and these great constructors build them simulation of, of a little town so he can play with it and be king. And, and you know, that was, I don't want to give away the ending, but of well, that particular story. But I, thank anyway. him. I thank him for that because I love the game SimCity right, and Sims right. and all of those. <laughs> anyway, so 
I've read Solaris many times. So uh, I've, I've read in Polish. The, for the longest time, the English translation was available, was translated from French. Mm -hmm. So they actually even changed the names of the characters mm. in that. And only recently, that the, the version we read now was a new translation that was done a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. directly from Polish. Right. I wanted, I wanted to ask you about that because I think it's, while I was reading it, there, there was some like vocabulary that was used that I thought was sort of interesting and like maybe was a, a rarer word in English. So like zenith, for example, he describes zenith. a lot of things at the zenith of this and the zenith was colored and all this kind of thing. And that's not really a word. That it is. I think zenith, it's, no, it, it's a word. It's a yeah. word. But I'm saying it's not... A, a word I think you commonly encounter. I think probably in astronomy you probably right. get that since you was talking about planets. Right. So, it, but it was it was interesting okay. to see the translation. But you you read it in Polish yes. and in English. And so in English, yes. Did you notice any anything in particular that you could remember that was different? no? The only are the first when I read the first English version, I was surprised by the different names mm -hmm. of the characters. So in this version, they went back to the original names. So those uh, were the Polish names. Those were the names that he used. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to give a background of the story as you see it? Or, oh, there's some weird stuff I? that happens. Well, so <laughs> we let me give an introduction to Solaris and then you can talk more about it. Okay. So the, in, in, the, in the book, Solaris is this planet. And what happened was, according to the history of solaristics, um, the planet was discovered uh, orbiting two suns, a, a red sun and a blue sun, mm -hmm. like a dual star system. And according to all the physics that we know, those such systems are not stable. Therefore, the planet should not be able to orbit right. and stay in place. Right. They were expecting it, the orbit would degrade and it should fall into one or other of the right. suns at some point. And yet, the planet didn't do that. So that's why they started exploring it. Uh, that, so people went there and they discovered that the planet was covered by this ocean and there was nothing else there. And that were trying to figure out and understand right. what happened there. And, and the, when the book begins, the solaristics have been or the study of this planet has been going for like 100 years or something yeah. like that mm -hmm. there's there's long literature that lemon makes up essentially or maybe he goes into the future and describes the history right <laughs> uh, anyway so go ahead yeah so but the point in uh, time the story begins um we're with uh chris kelvin right that's his first and last name chris right. kelvin and he's going to the station that's on solaris that has He's expecting three other scientists to be there, um, Sartorius, Snot, and Gabarian. Gabarian, right. And Gabarian uh, was like his mentor or something. Yeah, Gabarian like, got him into solaristics. And uh, when he, or, and you know, Chris has been training for this for like 10 years and all this, he finally goes. And when he gets there, there's like no welcoming committee whatsoever. And everybody's acting really weird. And it turns out Gabarian is dead. And so that's sort of the first right. Well, it's like even when, when, like you said, the I didn't think of it this way, but you said it's like a horror story almost. He walks into, mm -hmm. gets out of his little spaceship on the station, and there's nothing there. There's kind of a bit of a mess. Mm -hmm. He walks around and hears nothing. I think he meets uh, Snout. He meets Snout, right. Is it Snout or Snout? I don't know what I'm saying. It's S-N-A-U-T. I, I, I was saying Snout, oh. like a pig nose okay. kind of a thing. That's what I, I was know. thinking. What, 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 what I would say Snout because of the A. I okay. don't know. Um, but yeah, he meets he meets Snot first, and the, it Actually, is in the audiobook they say Snout. They say Snout. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. But he meets Snout first, and <laughs> uh, there there's a lot throughout the story that's very very much like a horror story. So I love horror, and I play a lot of horror video games and a lot of horror movies. And it, it's hard, I think, to express horror in writing because so much of horror is visual, and sound, for example, is so important in horror. So when you're playing a horror game or something whether there's music or no music or whatever it is, matters so much to, in terms of the feeling of it. And I think a lot of what we're dealing with in Solaris is um, the, the fear that comes along with isolation and the fear that comes along with real potential danger. And not understanding what the hell is going on. Right, coupled with the mystery. So it's like this mystery that, so when he first meets Snout, I actually love that scene. So he, uh, Kelvin goes, you know, nobody's there to greet him. He's kind of confused. He walks around for a bit, he finds Snout in his laboratory, and Snout is very confused. He, like, doesn't know how to react to Kelvin being there. And he's, like, not like, oh, hey, you've arrived, yay, or anything like right. that. He's just sort of like, who are you, what are you doing here? 
and Kelvin's like, hello, I'm the new, like, we've been planning this for a really long right. time. You, you knew I was coming. Like, you yeah. knew that I was going to be here. Where is everybody? Where is Gabarian? And I think that's when... Yeah, they, he tells him Gabarian is dead. Yeah, yeah, he figures out that... I forgot if Snout tells him or if he figures it out. But there's, like, little details, like, um, like Snout has uh, blood on his knuckles, for example. And he's got, and, like, what looks like a, a sunburn on his face. Right, yeah. And it's this very strange sort of like this is little and everything's sort of in disarray and it's, right. it looks like some shenanigans just happened, but like Snout's not saying what happened and he's not giving anything away. So and I think he tells him, don't be surprised if you see anything odd. Right. And he's like, if you see anything weird, don't be worried about it. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's Kelvin's first arrival. Then I think he goes and takes a shower. That's the first thing he does, right? He goes to his quarters. Right. But, and, right. I think he finds his quarters, and then he goes to, to see Gibarian's place. Right, and Gibarian's room's a but mess. But then as a lady walking around. Yes, the black woman, which was very strange to me, and I could talk more about the black woman later. But basically, he and I think I highlighted the description, actually, in my... I have a Kindle this time. I do not have a physical copy of the book. The description was a little strange. So he's... um walking through the station and he starts to hear footsteps basically from the far end of the side passage a huge black woman was coming towards me with an unhurried waddling gait i saw the whites of her eyes glinting and at almost exactly the same moment exactly the same moment i heard the soft slap of her bare feet she had nothing on but a skirt that glistened yellow as if it were made of straw she had massive pendulous breasts and her black arms were as thick as a normal person's thighs she passed three feet from me without so much as a glance and walked off, her elephantine rump swaying like one of those steatopygic Stone Age sculptures found in anthropological museums. I know what kind of sculpture. It's like a, right, it's like right. a really ancient sculpture mm -hmm. they had found in Africa. So, yeah, so he's walking around and he sees the black woman. Right, so this is a space like, station right on Solaris. Right? <laughs> uh, there's only supposed to be four scientists there. Right. And, and so he kind of freaks out. Mm -hmm. I think he follows her. I think he follows her yeah. because he goes to like the, the refrigerator where they keep the dead body. Right, and he wants to see Gabarian. He looks and Gabarian's there. And yeah, but there's this very weird scene. Was it then or was it later where he, where he sees the foot, the black foot sticking yeah. from under the cover? Mm -hmm. That's and, here, yeah. Yeah, and and so speaking of horror, right? That that that's a kind of a scene. You go into this cold thing where you see a dead body, and there's another what seems like a body on it, and he touches it, and it moves. Yeah, and he just totally freaks out. Yeah, so so it seems like the we don't. I don't think we really see her again. He no. hears her. Right. Um, but we don't really see her again. But yeah, so basically he looks at Gibarian's body and it seems like underneath or cuddled up against Gibarian's right. body is this black woman, and and he runs away. Right. Um, so, so everything's confusing. Right, he goes <laughs> visit uh, visits Gibarian's quarters just just to look to can find anything, and the whole place is a big mess. Mm -hmm. But he does find well, he finds a recorder, like a tape recorder. I guess this is like the old tech. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where Gibarian recorded something, he just puts it in his pocket, and then he finds a little note with like basically has some references to some some books some books some 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 papers some books and mm -hmm. he just again puts it away in his pocket and then i guess then he you know goes to shower whatever and goes mm -hmm. to sleep right and then that's then he has what he thinks is his dream that sort right. of starts everything right so you want to describe that uh so he goes to sleep which i'm amazed at because i wouldn't be able to go to sleep if that all had well happened. he was probably tired and was like you know yeah. so he goes to sleep and um he he starts what he thinks is a dream and initially he thinks it's a dream and he imagines or he thinks he's imagining um this woman that he had known on earth um, named harry right. and uh i think well, she was his wife was she his wife he said yeah. i don't think she was his wife i thought they were i don't know if he said they were married but she was mm -hmm. a significant other of some sort right i, I and, in, in the in the movies i certainly say that she's his wife she was his wife Maybe I'm not, not sure if she was yeah, his wife. You're right. But anyway, she she's sitting on the end of his bed, I think, yeah. when you know, he thinks he's dreaming her. And then I forgot if he falls asleep again or if he just realizes he's not dreaming. I think he realizes he's not dreaming. And... Yeah. Right. Is this the time when he tries to drug her? Or is it the time when he puts her in the in the rocket? This is the this is the first one that goes in a rocket. This is the first one that goes in a rocket. Okay. Well, so <laughs> Cuz there's a few attempts. <laughs> 
So he he basically realizes that it's it's not a dream. And she seems to be there. And we don't he doesn't tell us the backstory yet as to what had happened. Right. So but I mean she, she you know she knows him and you know they start talking and and you know he's starting to get ready to to go to try to do some work or whatever it is he's trying find out what's going on and tells mm -hmm. her to stay in his cabin and she won't right and i think that's the scene the that happens with the door right where he closes the door and she bangs it and she just rips her way through it i know i think the door happens later i think is the first later? one is the rocket the next one is the drugging and then it's the door okay i think well, there's only two of them right so anyway so <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good music so so but he yeah, she won't leave him alone. Right, she won't. She can't be out of his sight. Right, and uh, he's kind of freaking out about the fact that right. uh, she won't leave him alone. And one thing he notices that you know she's wearing a dress, but the dress has no buttons. Like he, yeah, there's no way to, to. I think he, so he gets right. So he gets this idea that he'll just put her in a rocket, and lock her up. Right. Like, and well, okay. So we haven't mentioned the thing about Harry is that she's dead. Right. Oh, right. That's right. So, so she's she's dead. So it can't really be Harry because she's a hundred percent dead. Right. So that's what makes this all right. Creepy. And and you know she committed suicide because of uh, some bad interaction between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. More and or less. he feels guilty about it. Right. So, so she's back, and it's very strange. So so she won't leave him alone. And I think this is also sort of one of the horror aspects of the the concept of sort of being trapped on a space station with, um, at this point, like a monster, right? Because he's, right. um, he's not fallen in love with her again yet. So he wants to get rid of her. He wants to get away from her. And he takes her and puts her on a rocket right. and sends her into space. Well, so he, he, his intention is just to put her in a rocket, but she starts screaming and banging. And apparently she's much, much stronger than she appears because right. she was 19 when she, she committed suicide. So she's of that age, essentially. So he she's... The whole rocket starts shaking, mm -hmm. so he just sends that into space. Yeah, and in the process, he gets blood on his knuckles, and he gets a bit of a sunburn from from, from the, the sun. <laughs> yeah, well, not from the sun, from from the the rocket. Uh, oh, I flames. thought it was from the thing opening and like letting the rocket go. Yeah, yeah. Either one, it was just basically the same. Yeah, kind of things that that snout. Had. Right. It was interesting because for a while <laughs> I thought that there was going to be a time paradox in this, and that mm -hmm. he was going to end up being snout because of that. Uh huh. So, but I, that was wrong. But yeah, just just. But yeah, the whole point is, snout must have done the same thing right. at some point. Right. So the the interesting thing comes up then. He he's actually he's just a psychologist, right? Mm -hmm. So, so he says, he's trying to to talk to himself after this happens. Says. Am I hallucinating this? Is this this is real or or, or, mm -hmm. or something happened? You know, where I'm just making this up from, and it seems real, but it's not really. And he asked this question of himself. You know, how can I tell if I'm hallucinating, whether I'm hallucinating or not? Mm -hmm. So he comes up with this experiment. Oh yeah, then there was math that I did not understand. So you yeah, want to explain I, the experiment? I can explain it. I don't think it would really work. But so basically, he says, imagine you know, if I'm hallucinating. I don't know certain math, right? So I can, my hallucination, pretend that I'm you know, doing the math. And if I do it by hand, I get some answer. And he was just calculating some uh, movement of, of, of some planets around the, the, the Solaris's sun, right? And he says, if I calculate it and then I send it to, to the satellite that will compute the same numbers, if the numbers come out exactly the same, that just means that my head just produces the same number. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if the numbers are slightly different, the, because you can't make this calculation precisely, then it's probably real. So what he did, he would he sent a message to the satellite, printed out the answer, didn't look at it, put it in a drawer, mm -hmm. right? And then did the same calculation by hand. Right, and then compared the numbers. And then compared the numbers. Yeah. And the numbers were equal to like five places, decimal places, but not completely. Right. So according to his theory, it means that you know he didn't make up the other number, but it's... I mean, but the, the, and the other thing is, though, while he was doing it, after he's done, he noticed that there are similar pieces of paper with similar calculations of something else. Yeah. So it's like somebody had some, the same I idea. I think it was Gabarian that had the same idea or Maybe, something. Yeah. yeah. One of the interesting aspects of putting Harry number one in the rocket was that she was like screaming. Yeah. Right? And then he turned off like the microphone from the, the sound, inside. Yeah, yeah, the because sound he couldn't. Because he couldn't stand to hear the scream. Right. 
and for the rest, of, we never find out if she's still in that rocket. That rocket right. remains it, in orbit. <laughs> I think at one point they talked about it a little bit, and, yeah. and, and Snout told him, you know, you can just it. turn on the mic, and he was like, no, we're not going to do that. So like he he and and I think that's like a really it's like a really frightening concept because whatever sound came over that would be frightening, whether it was still a scream or whether it was silence. Right. Because like, is she not there then? Where is she? Is right. she the same Harry that returns? You know, so that was really cool. So yeah, so he does this calculation, and then I think he goes and talks to Snot about this, because he talks to him before Harry reappears. Right, right. Because they they have a couple of these conferences. So yeah. Then Snot tells a little bit more what was going on because mm -hmm. it's now that you've had a visitor. Yeah, now you've had a guest. A guest, uh, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and basically, you know, there's the implication that Snot also has a guest in his. Uh, Right, and, and Gabarian had one. Does, uh, does Chris ever see Snouts? No. Right? Oh, okay. No. Oh, and there was Sartorius, of course. So there yeah. was the third guy who, mm. when he first arrived, he went up to his lab, and the guy would just not let him in. Yeah, and he could hear all kinds, um, Chris could hear all kinds of sounds and Children stuff. Children and stuff. Coming from inside. And, and the guy came out for like a minute. Right, he like held the door shut behind him, and he wouldn't like let him see inside. And throughout the story, we get sometimes Sartorius is on uh, the video screen. Right. So we never get to actually see the guest that right. Sartorius has. Right. But we see here and there flashes of like a straw hat. Right. I don't think that really ever comes to anything. No. I don't think it needed to. Right. You know, I don't think their guests super matter because like I think we can infer like what kind of guest they had. Right. right. Um, but it's just like one of the, another one of those mysteries that's like is it because of the point of view you know being only right. Chris's we don't right. get to see it so while Harry's gone for a bit you know Chris I, has a few hours to right. himself and then she reappears and Lem this is what happens in this book where Lem does it uh, when he wants to give up background information he says and then he was tired so he went to the library and he pulled read. out a book <laughs> on you know Solaristics volume 15 uh, and and went into the history of it and it's quite amazing, actually, you think that, that Lem invents all this stuff. So yeah. it's like invents names, invents uh, controversies, schools mm -hmm. of thought about what uh, this thing's supposed and to I, be. I thought it was very realistic, and, and he, he does, like, speculate throughout the story, yeah. so it's never, like, a huge info dump. It's right. sort of, like, and it fits in pretty well, right. I think. Um, and it's just, like, this whole concept that, like, the discovering Solaris led to this very serious questioning among the science community and among humans of you know what is life what is consciousness what what is is the ocean alive right or what? and people were sort of either like very generally either on the side of like the ocean is more primitive or the ocean is way more advanced right it's, so it was like one of like all the different schools of thoughts he describes sort of fall into one of those two right and one thing he, he goes into and throughout the book is describing the various phenomena that occur in the ocean, Ooh, right? So yes. it's not just the ocean, but the ocean makes these things. So let's see, there are the memoids, Memo yeah. memoids, symmetriads, asymmetriads, and a bunch of other things. And Rapidos, so I think those were the uh, chasms. Right, and he describes uh, them quite a bit. And there's some people on the internet who actually drew pictures of what those might look like. So And they're awesome. Th I'll include some links in the description. Yeah, so basically what, what the ocean does, and, um, you know, it, it happens throughout the history, but basically the ocean creates these shapes out of itself. So it's not exactly an ocean. It's not like water. Right. It's like this gelatinous thing. Right. And it's kind of like blackish, purplish, reddish color. It, it changes depending on what sun is up at the time. Right. And so, like, a, a symmetriad would be like, a, it'll the ocean will, like, the gelatinous form will like lift up out of the ocean and then create some symmetrical really complicated shape and that would be huge huge huge, huge. like big enough where like there'd be like, like they caverns said this, in some, it. some describe as cities right like they like and then the scientists that were there so prior to our story there had been heck of a lot more scientists right. on solaris and um the scientists would go and like fly their helicopters their helicopters <laughs> they'd fly their helicopters in and, and like explore or whatever. And then after some time, these shapes would degrade and f sort of fall back right. into the ocean so and the, be gone. Let me mention the Apocrypha. So the mm -hmm. uh, one on the little paper that, that he finds in Gabarian's office, there's a reference to this uh, Apocrypha, which is some particular incident that happened during earlier exploration of Solaris where 
basically somebody somebody's uh, aircraft crashed and mm-hmm. they went looking for him and this one pilot wound up in this kind of weird storm or, or something mm-hmm. fog yeah and then he observed this huge baby yeah and a little bit freaked out and <laughs> But I guess they didn't have record video recording or something, so it was just his description of what it was. And he said he saw a baby. He also saw a town, like a replica mm-hmm. of a town in, right, in, in the ocean. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't like it didn't look like a real town. It was just like like a model of a town made from the ocean stuff. Right. And, and the baby was huge. Too, the baby was, was huge, baby. right? And he said, you know, when he described how it moved, that it didn't move correctly it's right. like you know it, it moved as though it was trying to learn how to move or right like it was testing out how it could move and so there was a long inquiry into whole this whole thing and everybody convinced this guy that he was imagining it that he breathed some of the atmosphere because mm-hmm. his breathing apparatus was uh, broken and and he hallucinated the whole thing right right so that was Giberian you know so here's an example of ocean making something and somebody said maybe you know we should look at the guy who was lost. Did he have a small child? Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of a hint at that the, the visitors, the guests that they had, is kind of the same idea. Of, right. But then one of the formations that they talked about and studied for a long time were called memoids, which actually could reproduce shapes that were nearby. Mm-hmm. So uh, amongst the pictures that I found on the internet, there's one like that shows the memoid-making helicopter. But, yeah. But it was just kind of totally random, and, and there was no... Yeah, and they described doing some experiments where, like, they would, um, like, touch the ocean with stuff. And, like, sometimes the ocean would react to it and, like, make something. And then sometimes the ocean would just ignore them. Because part of this whole story is that they're trying to establish contact or determine if communication is even possible with... Because this is, like, a giant alien, basically, right? Right, right. So this is, and I think in in this chapter, you know, um, that Kevin goes... uh, Chris, rather. Chris Kelvin. goes to see Snout. And Snout has this this thing to say about contact with mm-hmm. with, and he says, so this is I this is like a quote everybody mentions from this book. But um, so Snout says, we head out into space, ready for anything, which is to say, for solitude, arduous work, self-sacrifice, and death. Out of modesty, we don't say it out loud, but for the time, but from time to time, we think about how magnificent we are. In the meantime, in the meantime, we are not trying to conquer the universe. All we want is to expand Earth to its limits. Some planets are said to be as hot and dry as Sahara, others as icy as the poles, or tropical as the Brazilian jungle. We human- we're humanitarian and noble. We, we have no intention of subjugating other races. We only want to impart our values to them and in turn appropriate their heritage. We see ourselves as knights of the holy contact. There is a fair... Another, that's another false city. We're not searching for anything except people. We don't need other worlds. We need mirrors. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was kind of part of the theme of this book is to show something that is so alien that you, yeah. you can make sense out of it. Right. But it's sort of interesting because of the idea of it being a mirror because then the ocean does produce these guests. Right. You know, so it's like, and you know, maybe, maybe they're really seeing themselves in a way they don't want to see, particularly, right. you know, Chris Kellman. So that that's a great quote. I love that one. Yeah. Um, so so, uh, plot wise, so I guess Harry returns, and then, basically, Chris goes through a couple of different things to try to figure out like. Well, what's he's going trying on. to to you know said okay fine you're here but stay stay in my cabin while I go to work, and that's when he he leaves the cabin closes the door I mean doesn't lock it just closes the door yeah and she and she breaks just it breaks through the door. <laughs> Because she doesn't yeah. know how to open it. <laughs> and every time something like this happens, like sending her away in the rocket, breaking the door, at some point he tries to give her sleeping drugs and it knocks her out for like a minute and then she wakes up. Right. Every time one of these things happens, it's like she forgets they happened. So like right after breaking down the door, for example, her hands are bloody. Right, she doesn't know why. And she's sitting on the bed and she's like, what happened? Like, what happened? And then she magically heals and he watches her right. hands heal from being bloody. Um, I think that's when he takes her blood and starts to Right, he takes the it. blood and starts doing some analysis it's kind of funny because at the time you know the 1960s in the physics neutrino was like the end thing that was the new yeah. thing so and <laughs> the the tech tech in this this case is is like you know underneath it's it's really like neutrino structure replicating structure of what a human would be yeah if you go down way down so 
Yeah, so basically... Or some, uh, or the something speculating like anyway. Yeah, yeah. So he, like, looks at her... He takes some of her blood and analyzes it, and then he tries to, like, burn it, but it, it um, reforms and heals right, itself, you know? Right, And I thought there was, like, a kind of irony in the fact that the ocean re- recreated uh, an immortal copy of a woman who killed herself. Like, right. Of I all think the she things, even had the little pinprick. She had the pinprick, right? From because she, um, the real Harry had killed herself uh, by a drug of some kind. Injection, that she injected, right. and it just sort of like of all the things you could recreate. Oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> this one. So, uh, so he's doing experiments and he's trying to communicate with Snot and Sartorius about this, and then they have like a few well, plans so, of what. Well, to so do. the thing is, basically, after a while, he's he he falls back in love with her. It's right. like he says, "Fine." You want to be here? I'll go with it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then, then you know, everything becomes a problem because now he's there. right. So then they start having making plans for leaving mm-hmm. and maybe you know whatever. And um, it's kind of funny because amongst one of the discussions, I think Snout tells him, "So, so if you imagine if you can even bring her back, she has no papers." Right, she has no papers. <laughs> she couldn't get back on her. <laughs> Just like that's like the least of our concerns right. at this point. But yeah, so I mean, I think that's sort of. And I think that's sort of one of the, the themes that um, comes up is sort of this, like, the power of love and and the fact right. that he, you know, the questioning also, like, is she Harry? Because if she's... Well, I think he decided that she's she's not really Harry. She's, yeah. she's like, another person. Who's uh, enough like Harry. <laughs> who's, who's enough for him to love. And, and she, it's kind of, so you want to talk about the liquid oxygen chapter? Oh, Yes. So there's the various experiments happening and uh, throughout, and um, he and well because she can't be away from him, she kind of hears some of the conversations between him and Snow. Right, so she figures out that and, she's and like this. Replica. She's special. <laughs> yeah, she's like oh, this... she she's catching on, and uh, he, he's asleep, and then he wakes up, and she's not in bed with him, and he starts to panic, and it's sort of interesting because their relationship sort of flips. Because right. it initially starts with her not being able to leave him. Right. And by the end, he can't leave her. Right. So it's like this very oh, interesting... that's right. I didn't think about yeah. it that way. Yeah. Uh, so she's gone. And he's like, heck, did she go? And uh, he goes and finds her. And she had drunk liquid yes, oxygen. Yes, drunk liquid oxygen. To try to kill herself. Right. Because she's a copy of someone who tried to commit suicide. <laughs> so she's trying again. And the images are... are fantastic i mean the horrible the horrifying yeah, but you know yeah. this whole concept she's like bleeding out of her mouth and she's in the death throes and she's dying like a human would die right but she can't you know she but she, she, she doesn't die <laughs> <laughs> she can't stay dead um, so she recovers yeah it's it's a, see it's kind of interesting so what i was wondering there it's like he she was essentially kind of quote unquote recreated from his memories of her right of as someone who committed suicide and did she commit suicide because of those memories of of Kelvin's, mm-hmm. or did she commit suicide because she was in love with him, but she knew that that she was kind of hurting him and and, and whatever, mm-hmm. you know? I would lean more on the the because the memory of her. No, was... because she started feeling like she was not really wanted, and he kept saying, "No, you know, yeah, I love you," and and this and that. Yeah. And she says, "Oh no, you know." I, I don't know. It's a good question. You I don't, don't know. really love me, and. Um, I don't know. Because he doesn't reject her or anything. It's not he doesn't say like, "Well, I'm gonna have to leave and you're gonna have to stay." You know, right, like right. But I mean, it's it's the it's like you know when you say th- th- there's like an undercurrent underneath it that 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 she seems to be be detecting that. Yeah. You know, he just says that, but he doesn't really mean it. Right. Or does he? And it's like, but I can by the end of the story, he does mean it. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, so she she tries to kill it, and I think that's sort of the chapter where he really realizes how much he does love right. her. Right. And. Yeah, that time we start talking about plans and right and, 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 stuff. and stuff like that, and they start. Uh, he starts getting really nervous about uh, Sartorius and, uh, and Snout right. So me to- meanwhile, Sartorius and and uh, well, Snout always tells him things like, you know, what are you what are you gonna take? Are you crazy? Right. Do yeah. you think she can exist outside of Solaris? And you know, he hadn't even considered it. That's when Snout was like, "Have you checked that rocket you sent up there?" Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I says, what, what's going to happen? If you go and, and she dies, you're going to come back for another one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, Snout is like the voice, um, so, so in, in, in a larger kind of uh, v- 
you, right? This book is about contact, impossibility of contact with an alien. And snout throughout the book is like, says, what do you, there's no contact like this, this quote from here. It's, it's mm -hmm. all terrible. That's a stupid idea. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And yet the whole book is contact, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, it's like these, these guests are part of the ocean. Or something. But or something. I mean, it's, it's like, it's not the human terms, right? Right. Um, so they just, among the three of them, they decide to do an experiment uh, where they record the engrams or from, from one of those brains and right. Kevin, so there, Kevin volunteers. There's so. a few uh, projects they suggest. There's one about making like a destruction thing that would neutrino disruptor or whatever yeah. to, to, because they assume they did then the a, guests are made from a, neutrinos. a tech tech you know device right that would destroy um, or what do they call them the formations right so yeah. it's funny when they have conversation and and harry is there they don't want to necessarily give that give away that they're talking about right? so they call them g formations yeah <laughs> <laughs> and this is sartorius who's very professorial yeah yeah so they, they sort of there was sort of this plan of using oh the annihilator I think it's right, called right yes to like destroy them but then you know Kelvin's not about that life because now he's in love with the the G formation mm, that he has right and um so then they're like okay well with this other plan we're gonna take you Kelvin and record your brain brain waves brain waves so just... and we're gonna shoot your waves at the ocean and see what happens because maybe that'll do something they're like trying anything they're like right. really not right. thinking that hard about this. So they do that. They re mm -hmm. they record his his brainsies, right. and then this is sort of I would consider the the chapter after that, and um, with his dreams, with right. his dreams to be sort of the climax of the story because I th yeah you're right. I think this is what ha what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think that so basically what happens in the story is that they record his brainwaves. They start shooting him them at the ocean in like various places. They're like the stations flying around shooting brainwaves at the ocean, and nothing in particular seems to be happening. Right. However. Kelvin is starting to get these extremely vivid dreams and but they're vivid in a very alien way right of, of being the ocean of being the ocean basically of like being amorphous and not having uh, basically not being human and I think what's happening in these dreams is that the humans sent the ocean Kelvin's thoughts and so now the ocean is sending Kelvin its thoughts and so there's sort of like a a telepathic connection in a right. way. That's the best way I can figure it out. <laughs> That's what it seems to be to me. Um, right. So I've read this book many times, and I've listened to it many times, and this time I actually noticed this chapter. <laughs> uh, and I I kind of agree with your interpretation. It's just that was that was like the contact that occurred. Right. That would be. It's hard. It's a difficult chapter, I think, um, because it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine that chapter. So a lot of the, the work is very visual or is very um, uh, even, uh, you know, like, like touchable. Like this idea of like the ocean making shapes and making, like right. you can imagine these things, you can imagine it. But he's trying to describe something that's totally inhuman, which like as right. a writer is like kudos to you, man. But, you know, he's like trying to right, get... Like imagine the you know, turtles can see extra colors, so describe them. Right, exactly. He's trying to describe feelings we don't have, right. in but only in words we have. So it's like actually like a meta communication issue, right? Because right. it's like, how does Lem communicate the idea? You know. Right. So that that's what it, it seems like to me in terms of that happening. But I think it is a difficult chapter because it, 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 how you how do you imagine it? There's no visual, right? You know. Like when I think when I was reading the chapter, I didn't have any physical visuals. There wasn't right, right anything there, but there was so much there, you know. <laughs> yeah. So then, what happens after that? Well, there's one part where he goes to talk to Snout, and she goes with him, but she stays in the corridor because she's trying to learn how to be further away from right. him. Right. Right. So that, and I don't remember now what they were talking about. I thought, it's not when they talk about the the god, the bad god, or no, no, that that later? comes after. No, I think that's when they were talking about when Snout tells him, where do you think you're going to go? Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah so then after the, this uh, experiment with the sending his brainwaves to the ocean don't produce anything, really. One night he wakes up. Well, no wonder he, he comes, you know, he, they're sitting in the cabin. She gives him a drink. Yeah. And he, as he's, uh, after he's drunk it, he realizes that she put some pills in it, so he falls asleep. Yeah, she drugs him. She drugs him. And... Uh, when he wakes up, she's not there. 
So he, you know, goes finds the other guys and says, "Where is she?" And well, he runs all over the place yeah, first. Yeah, he goes yeah. like wild trying to find her. Right. And then yeah, he goes and finds a snout. And it says, "No, she's gone." You know, she. So they they build the annihilator, and she came to them and said, "Please, you can get rid of me." Yeah. And and she does not appear again. Mm-hmm. I guess then the story kind of. Uh, so I think I think that is probably like the official climax of the story. Right. So the the dreams would be the immediate rising action before right. that and then her death uh right. is the would be the climax and then everything else right. would be a falling action right. so then they have the com- that god conversation right so there's i have it here so okay. um basically and there's a conversation between snout and 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 chris when they talk uh so chris says tell me speaking to snout do you believe in god he gave me a sharp look Come off it. Who still believes these days? Anis flickered in his eyes. It's not so straightforward, I said in deliberate, deliberately light tone. I don't mean the traditional God of terrestrial beliefs. I'm no specialist in religion, and I may not have come up with anything new, but do you happen to know if there ever existed a faith in a defective God? Defective? <laughs> he repeated, raising his eyebrows. How do you mean? In a certain sense, the God of every religion was defective because he was encumbered with human qualities only magnified. The God of Old Testament, for instance, was hothead who craved servility and was jealous of other gods. The Greek gods had so many human imperfections with a quarrelsness and family squabbles. No, I interrupted him. I mean a God whose deficiencies don't arise from the simple-minded, simple-mindedness of human creators, but constitute his most essential, eminent character. This would be God limited in his omnip- omniscience and omnipotence, and who can make mistakes in foreseeing the future of his works, who can find himself horrified by the course of events he has set in motion. This is a crippled God who always desires more than he's able to give, to have, and who doesn't have always realized to his, doesn't realize this to begin with, who has built clocks but not the time that they measure, has built systems or mechanisms that serve particular purposes, but that they have too outgrown the these purposes and betrayed them and has created an infinity that from beginning the measure of the power he was supposed to have turned into a measure of his boundless failure so and in, in i think he's thinking of the ocean so mm-hmm. you know, the ocean has all these powers and stuff but you know it's like in a god who doesn't really know everything you know right. like, so he can do all these things but if he winds up creating something really horrible oops yeah <laughs> Um, well, I mean, and is it a parallel to humans as well? Uh, well, I found previous time I read Solaris, I also read Heart of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And I found an interesting parallel between this this pa- paragraph and the end of Heart of Darkness, mm-hmm. where, what was his name, Kurtz, mm-hmm. went to live amongst uh, natives in Africa. And he essentially became God to them. Mm-hmm. He was certainly an, an, a, a defective, defective God. God, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting parallel there, I thought. Yeah, I think that's the point that Lem's trying to make is, is this, you know, they're still trying to figure out this ocean. And, I mean, one of the things we sort of mentioned in the beginning is that they think that this whole planet's orbit is controlled by this ocean. Right, right. right? They can't quite figure out how it's doing it. Right, but it's like the, the it's controlling the entire orbit of a planet. Right. That is very godlike. I mean, what kind, what right. other kind of godlike stuff do you do, you know? Mm. So... Yeah, and I mean the fact that it could bring basically bring people back from the dead because of these guests. It could read. It seems to be able to read minds. It can create all these things, you know. And there's actually a couple of other places where the religion is brought up because they mm-hmm. they snout again, rallying against contact. He talks, you know, solaristics is not a science; it's real religion. Right. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know you're looking for the holy contact. And, yeah. And um, I think you know I think the power. That's actually something I hadn't thought of. The this book does draw a parallel between science and religion, which I think is something that is a really interesting parallel because, you know, you sort of, there's always sort of a border between them. So I'm going to make a plug here for um, shaken baby syndrome. Shaken baby syndrome is not real. I've been doing a lot of research on this recently. I'm just going to throw it out there. Not a real medical thing. Um, It's very much like a religion. It's a science. It takes on the guise of a science, but if you actually study the origins of that diagnosis, it's completely made up. It's mm. based on like a study that has nothing to do with shaking, has to do with whiplash. It's like totally different. But 
the schools of thought on shaken baby syndrome or abusive head trauma it's called too are so polarized like you get doctors that call themselves true believers like they call themselves mm -hmm. believers in shaken baby syndrome and it's like if you're a scientist you shouldn't have to be a believer you should just be a scientist right if you're wanting it so easy <laughs> right so and it there is very much this overlap and i think lem gets to that here with the solaris there's, there's this you know science can't be divorced from human nature because it's right. developed by humans right. right so the solaris in the way that that solaris affected human culture so the, the lem actually has his philosophy of religion pops up in many of his writings mm -hmm. and there's a couple of this this is a little bit of that idea there is one um, kind of story that he has where he talks about the computer scientist who's simulating worlds in the computer mm -hmm. and he writes reports about what what his simulated beings are talking about mm -hmm. and the simulated beings are talking about existence of a creator <laughs> and whether you know they should you know does he exist if he exists should we be able to you know do we have to pray for him and do we have to whatever and this poor guy who's writing who's running these simulations is trying to get more funding so that he can continue running yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's this kind of stuff comes up and number of places in them so i can this is probably like the beginning of the, some of these ideas mm -hmm. um yeah i mean i think it, it's a big part of it um and and I, I like how he when he goes into the histories of solaris he, he goes yeah. into a lot of this like how the culture understood it and, and a lot of his descriptions too um deal with the fact that humans very much try to describe solaris and the ocean on solaris in human terms right right like they try to draw parallels to things right and he, that's all we can he, do <laughs> yeah and kelvin and snot are constantly like that you can't draw a parallel to this there right. isn't a human parallel right. but people were like constantly trying right. to right. because that's how they understand the world so Okay. So well, wait, what happens at the end? So then Harry dies, and we get like what? One more chapter? We get yeah, the basically, God yeah, he 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 also basically goes and visits the surface of the planet. Finally, he figures, if he's a solarist who's been studying this for years and years, might as well go visit. Go yeah. visit. So <laughs> he go, he goes and spends some time on this uh, what they're calling old memoids. So the memoids goes through these phases. That like at the end of its phase, it's kind of just kind of floats in the ocean. It's very stable, so you can actually land an aircraft on it. You can walk around. Mm -hmm. I think he tries to touch the ocean, and the ocean kind of moves away yeah. from him. Yeah, so it's this interesting description where it's like the last thing he does. He uh, goes to touch. He puts his hand out. So the ocean comes in and like waves. Yeah, it's right. like waves on the shore of the memoid. And he puts his hand out. He's in a, a space suit, yeah, but he puts yeah. his hand out. And he, the ocean comes up to his hand and goes around his hand but there's but like doesn't a thin, touch it yeah but there's a thin layer of air between it, the ocean right. and the suit right. so it won't actually touch him right and like if he lifts his hand it'll follow him for like a couple of minutes and then right. it'll let go and go right. away and then it won't be interested anymore right so it's like it's like one of those things where it's like it's obvious that this is some kind of intelligence of something of something <laughs> <laughs> so it's like there there's something happening but I guess at the end of the day, do we know what's happening on Solaris? No. Right. And uh, in terms of like the history, if you if you looked at the history of solaristics, this whole thing happens towards like the end where where people were really interested in it when they first discovered. Lots of study, lots of literature, and then nothing came of it. So people just started dropping off. So this is mm -hmm. just like the tail end. You know, this kind of interest in this thing is just fading because nothing you can get anything out of it. Right. Exactly. Apparently. So, so uh, can you explain this to me? Oh, the born sexy yesterday. Yeah. Um, so there's a, a trope. Um, if you have, if anyone wants to learn about tropes, you can go to tvtropes.com. There's like thousands of tropes, and there's tropes for everything. There's a, a trope in. What is a trope? A trope is um like a pattern, like a story pattern. Okay. That appears, and they're not all bad or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just, um, you know, hu humans only tell so many stories, and right. all of our stories right. are kind of the yes. same. Uh. So you can pick out tropes, and uh, this is a trope that's common in science fiction and common in fantasy, and it's called "born sexy yesterday," and uh, it's a play on the phrase "born being born yesterday," and usually what it involves is um, usually it's a female character who could have literally been born yesterday because it's science fiction or fantasy, um, or is just very young and naive or whatever. And she's beautiful, and, and she's sexy, and she's naive about everything, and she needs the main male character who's a perfectly normal human person 
to teach her about the world because she has no ability to handle anything herself. Hmm. Seven oh, of yeah. Nine in Star Trek Voyager skims this line right. when yeah, she no, first comes onto yeah. the ship. Mm -hmm. She is, gets real close, but I think she's, she's um, independent and competent enough to not get there. Um, a lot of characters that are, are born sexy yesterday are will have some kind of power. Um, yeah, the, like the classic, break doors down. <laughs> yeah, the classic example is the girl from the Fifth Element. I've never actually seen oh, that, yeah. so yeah, I don't that. know the details. But it's a it's a common trope um, in like some anime shows and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it, it happens a lot, and it's almost always a female character. And it's yeah. uh, sort of the the thing about Born Sexy Yesterday is that the the female character is in the story to serve the main male character's plot, not as her own character. And I liked Solaris, um, oddly enough. <laughs> but <laughs> but I do think there was a, a severe lack of women. Yeah, and Harry was not a strong female character. Mm. In any she was function. very strong. She could break doors down. She was physically strong because she needed to reach her man. She could mm. not be out of sight of her <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, so Solaris probably is one of the more popular books by Lem. Probably the only one that has any female, female characters to speak of. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that's why. I don't know. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where I think what Lem was focused on here, and this is not a bad thing necessarily, but the, he was focused on exploring this ocean and these themes that we've talked about and right. that kind of thing. He wasn't interested in exploring uh, really that that deeply the relationship right. between Kelvin and Harry. Right. All that really right. mattered was the backstory and how this right. related to the ocean. Right. Harry wasn't independently important, right. which is like... Could she have been short? You know, I think he could have developed that more. But was that what he was trying to do? It doesn't seem to be that way. So, so what was your favorite part? My favorite part throughout was the descriptions of the um, rising and setting suns. Mm -hmm. So like we talked about earlier, Solaris has two suns, a red and a blue. Right. And so it was never really nighttime. Right. Because they never were set at the same right. time, right? So, um, like, the blue sun would come up and there'd be, like, this, like, shining, like whiteness and everything White, would sort of turn like yeah. blue and like the ocean would reflect it and everything like that and then the red sun would come up and the whole place would be like red and there'd be fog over the ocean and like all the and the space space and had shutters so they could have like night. right yeah. yeah and they all had to wear sunglasses sometimes yeah. and there was like um like the light would hit like chrome stuff in the cabin and it would like light up like it was on fire uh, so i thought a lot of the descriptions were just throughout were really really good so that was my favorite I've always liked the, the whole history of solaristics because some of it is kind of funny when they talk about different scientists coming up with uh, hypotheses and, mm -hmm. and arguing for this way or the other and, and, and stuff. So I've always liked that part. This time around when I listened to it again, I guess because I've read it so many times, uh, that part seems slightly tedious. Mm -hmm. Although as, as the book, as the story progressed, it, it made a little bit more sense. It was more... I, I did think it could have been a smidgen shorter. I think we there was a part in the middle that was a little bit slow. Um, the pacing kind of slowed down a yeah. bit. And maybe that was because Kelvin stopped being afraid of Harry. Right. And it became more of a, a partnership than right. a confusion. Right. You know, there was a certain aspect of the horror that was that was lost, but I think that was sort of the point. Right. Right. So... Least uh, favorite part? Well, my least favorite aspect of it was that there were very few women. And of the mm -hmm. two women we saw, they weren't that great. So we had Harry, who's you know, fits pretty squarely into the born sexy yesterday trope. And then we had the black woman who, for obvious reasons, was a, a concerning image of a black woman walking around in a grass skirt. But, you know, Lem was writing this in the 60s and it's all and in Poland. So. And in Poland. <laughs> so that, that, and that makes me wonder, that's the only other guest that we saw. Yes. Right? right. We ne never, never see Snout's guest at all. Right. And we never see Sartorius's guess, except for that there's a straw hat involved, and yeah. there's like sounds like children. It sounds like children, right? So, you know, I don't know what Gibberian why that would be Gibberian's guess. Right. So it's like they speculate about what it is that 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 the ocean you know pulls out of your head to mm -hmm. create the guess. I wonder if uh, was Giber I guess Gibberian was a scientist. I wonder if the ocean pulled out like the knowledge of like those ancient statues for example and maybe, just created human maybe, from it maybe i have no idea right you know that's it's just a true it was a strange image to to pick um and I, I wonder if 
Sartorius's guests or guest or whatever was like a child. Like I don't know if the guests were had to be people that had died or because mm. well because clearly the guests really emotionally bothered everybody. Right. 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 So, you know, if that had been Sartorius's dead child, that would be pretty disturbing. If it was his child that was still alive back on Earth, would that be equally as disturbing? Maybe. I don't know. Mm. So, what, what was your least favorite part? I don't know. I like the whole book. I mean, the, the like I said, I've, I've read it many times. Different things stand out the different time. Like this time I noticed the, the, the dream chapter, mm-hmm. which which I realized, yeah, that that's really like the communication happening, yeah. kind of. Um, this time around, some of the, the histories, although I like them, they're, they're a little bit tedious. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because I knew the story already. Uh, so the other thing I want to say about this, there's a couple of movies that I made from this. Yes. And so there was a TV movie made in Soviet Union that I believe I saw when I was a child mm-hmm. because I remember the, the liquid oxygen scene. And that movie is available on YouTube. It's... it's uh, uh, subtitled in English, so if you want to watch it, it's it's like two hours long. Then there was Tarkovsky, who's the famous Soviet, uh, the Russian filmmaker, who makes very very long and very very slow movies. <laughs> so he made Solaris also, and it's like three hours long, and nothing much happens. <laughs> and the thing is, um, in Tarkovsky's version, uh, Kelvin stays on Solaris. It's like you know he he. You know, the, the last scene is they show you him like at coming to his house, visit his father or something, and then then he pulls out and you realize it's just a, one of those little islands floating in the. Oh, interesting. Um, and then there was American movie made, and it was just totally horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so don't watch it. Did, did, was Lam alive for any of these? Yeah, so we have the DVD of Solaris uh, for Tarkovsky's version, and has an l- interview with Lam about it at at, at the end. Mm-hmm. And he hated it. He said the guy just missed the point. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, did he miss the point, or what was the point? <laughs> well, I think what what Tarkovsky's movie was, um, like against uh, le- leaving Earth and trying to, to to go into space. Whereas, I think the book is more about contact and maybe difficulty of possibility or not possibility of contact right. and, and just mm-hmm. trying to understand that there's so much more than, than what mm-hmm. humans can comprehend. Right. Yeah. So I guess one of the questions we sort of touched on is, is, is the ocean alive? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and I the answer is who knows? <laughs> right. It's like, I, I am inclined. It's like, I guess I would the question say yes, would be, but I mean, it's, what what do you mean by alive, right? Right. Well, doesn't like the regular definition of life requires like uh, you have to what, be able to reproduce and there's, well, a there's only one of it that we know of. I mean, maybe right. There could be uh-huh. others. Yeah. Is it one thing or is it many things? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's so it's so bizarre. But I think it's sort of interesting to you know maybe looking at this from the ocean's point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, these little ants have come to live on it. Right. And, you know, we could maybe assume, or just for a thought experiment, assume these are the first, like, sentient bipeds that have come to Solaris. And, you know, when that when that guy crashes his plane and gets lost, mm-hmm. that's the first time the ocean experiences sentience in the way we experience it. Maybe. Right? Because it can copy it. Right. And... So at the same time, humans are trying to understand the ocean. The ocean is trying to understand the humans, and f- you know, figure out what that means. Right. Like, with, like with Harry, for example, um, you know, the ocean copies Harry out of Kelvin's brain, and then does the ocean gain the knowledge of Harry? Like, is, is that just an extension of the ocean? Does that go into? Maybe that's just how it shakes hands. I don't know. <laughs> 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 like it's just it's very strange and i think part of me when i was reading it because this is the first time i've read it part of me wanted a solution at the end and right. there to be some conclusion right but the whole time i was like there's not going to be this is lem and uh and you couldn't and you couldn't it's, it's, right it that's, that's, the whole, that's the whole point that, that's right right, right. So you right. can't there, there isn't uh th- that that's the whole theme right is it there's right. just not it's not possible to know right 
you know, we just don't know enough to know. And sometimes you read a science fiction book where there's like crazy things and, and at the very end they just find just the right thing to solve everything. Right. Really? <laughs> right. And I think, you know, part of the foreshadowing that we weren't going to get anywhere really was that they've been trying for a hundred years, right? Right. That they there had been, like there was a big disaster that was described at some point in right. the book where like a hun over a hundred people were killed in like the collapse oh. of the uh, asymmetroid or something. Right. They couldn't figure it out. Why? Why would Kelvin be able right, to? Right. Right. When the Kelvin's not particularly, he's not even a scientist. He's a psychologist. So it's like. Well, so this is again the the three books I mentioned in the beginning of Lem that having similar structure is that the the somebody lands on some planet that mis there's mystery presented. The people that try to figure it out and they don't really they get something like they have a little bit of more understanding. Some 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 hunches maybe what what might be going on mm -hmm. without any anything really deep. Uh, well, I guess one of the questions, too, is does it matter what's happening on Solaris? Or do our characters come away with the lessons they need to come away with? And does the reader come away with those themes without that mystery being solved? Right, right. There right. isn't, there isn't, it would be cheating almost. Right, like, like it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's like we get the point of the communication and all of these themes that we get uh, w without that. Right, which is one, one of the reasons I like these types of books, because when everything is resolved to the very end, it feels like cheating almost. Yeah. Right? yeah it, real it, life isn't like that. It's why I, I don't really read uh, fictional mysteries because uh, I feel like, you know, a, a detective novel is set up to be solved, mm. right? It's not like true crime where it's Well, like, actually, Lem wrote detective novels. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Did they not catch the killer? Is that what happened? Killer? <laughs> <laughs> all right i think we hit on everything we wanted to right um, so i think the the, the one one last thing we want to say about the does it age well or not so i think yeah okay. i think it's aged just pretty well there's some stuff that i noticed uh is that the fact that they all read books and had libraries yeah right? so it's it's kind of you there know there was some older, older technologies there were their books libraries um the the little ra radio thing oh um, the tape recorder the tape recorder he flew in a helicopter outside. Well, helicopters, you know, that's fine. So you you would use some kind of a aircraft, you know. Yeah, but I mean, a helicopter, <laughs> no. kind of, kind of very now, not very future. Right. Um, yeah. So I think I think that. But otherwise, I mean, I think the the. I think the other themes are much more deeper and and, and kind of, you can ignore the, the the. Yeah, I did. It wasn't distracting. Right. Like until you mentioned it, I hadn't even realized. Like, oh yeah, wait, they have books. That's odd. They wouldn't right. have that anymore. Um, but I don't know if that's because I still sometimes have books. <laughs> it's still normal to me. <laughs> Maybe they're just hipsters and they're really into That's true, but you know, it, it, it takes uh, a cost money to, to put weight into space. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they synthesize. I don't know. They, right. It was fine. Right. Everything was fine. 3D printed books, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they 3D printed the library. <laughs> oh. Okay. All right. So that was Solaris. I think it... Uh, I think it, it was good. I liked it. Gonna take a gonna take a break before I read some more yeah, lamb, but, yeah, right. <laughs> but I did enjoy it. So for next time, uh, we had talked about doing um, the story. Was it the story of your life? Story of your life. Yeah. Which is by who? Ooh, I forgot the author. Tim Chu or something. We'll, something. we'll look it up. We'll know by next time. Uh, it's the story. So it's actually a collection of short stories, and we're gonna read the one that's called the story of your life. Um, and it's the, the one that the movie Arrival was based on. Right. And um, I guess we watched the movie as well. Yeah, no, we'll watch, we'll watch the movie again. That's our, I will take one for the team and rewatch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love that movie. So I think we both saw the movie first, right? Yes. And then we, we both read the story. Right. Uh, but that was like like a year ago yeah. at this point. So we'll reread the story. Yeah. The story's not long. Um, but that's also dealing with communication. Right. And uh, unusual aliens. Yeah. So we can then maybe at that point we can start comparing like Left Hand of Darkness, Solaris, and that because I think there are some similar communication mm. themes among the three. Okay. And uh, we can go over those. And did you want to plug your podcast? I do want to plug my podcast. So I'm going to shamelessly plug my other podcast. Um, I'm on a podcast. Po I'm on a podcast called uh, Unabashed Book Snobbery. It's on the Fundamentals website. Uh, Fundamentals is F-A-N-D-O-M-E-N-T-A-L-S. Fundamentals. We'll put the link. Yeah, we'll put the link. Um, 
I'm on, it's, it's a Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast, so I'm on the ones that are the uh, reactions to the episodes as they aired last season, and um, the two other women that are on there are Kylie and Julia, and they do a fantastic job of uh, rereading the books and analyzing them and, and watching the show and reacting to it. Um, spoiler alert, we hate the show, so if you like Game of Thrones, don't listen to our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> If you're interested in learning why Game of Thrones is a terrible show, then listen to our podcast. So that's that's my uh, shameless plug of that. And I think I'll be on, on more episodes um, coming up. Hopefully they'll uh, have, have room for me because I think they're doing a, re a rewatch of the first couple of seasons, which in retrospect were not so bad. Um, seasons one through four were, were okay. It all really went off the rails at season five. If so, you say so. Trust me. <laughs> Read the books. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, that, that'll be it for this episode. Um, thank you all again for joining us for History in Reverse. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seems to be recording. Are we recording? Yay. Yes, recording. Woohoo. Um, I think for next, I, I'm thinking about getting a mixer and like a little bit of microphones so yeah. we can do this. Yeah, that's fine. I'm going to try to talk louder than I did last time. Yeah, maybe we just put it closer. <laughs> yeah. That was, well, there was a lot of mumbling for us yes. <laughs> both last time. Um, and what was the other thing I wanted to ask you? Do you mind if I plug my other podcast at the end? No. The Fundamentals podcast? Not at all. Because that's the, the Song of Ice and Fire one I was on. And I think I'm going to be on some more soon because they're doing a rewatch of the first four seasons. And if you give me links, I can, what, what we can do when we do the uh, um, description, we can include links. I want to include links to some of this stuff. Perfect. Including the movie. Mm -hmm. That's on YouTube. <laughs> that... mm. Okay, so we're aiming for 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. I'm going to start the stopwatch.